0: Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster, on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. And we're cranking. We're live. We're recording. And I am so excited for this one. Who are we talking to today? He is a data-driven marketing leader, an entrepreneur. And you got to know, he's been involved in some pretty amazing projects. And we're going to talk to him about those today. That's right. Right now, top 10 internet retailer. He's been involved with the top 10 mobile app, top 40 US website property, and a top five US mobile site. And now, now today on the top podcast in the galaxy. I don't remember the source of that, but uh, somewhere, somewhere in the back. But yeah, you're the top podcast of the galaxy, serial CMO and CTO at the same time, oftentimes. He took overstock from 3 million in rev to 800 million. He's a growth monster, co-founder and chief strategy officer at Demand Jump, referred to as the head troublemaker, I will say,
1: Sean Swegman, Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks, Casey. It's great to be here. I really appreciate, appreciate you pulling me on the show. I love the show, by the way.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I was going to say, how'd we get you on here? But you know what? This is the top podcast of the galaxy. Exactly. So, you know, we're not just looking for North America. This is like intergalactic here. <laughs> um, so a Voyager Probe, you know, on its journey way out in the distance is listening to us, I'm sure. So um, great. This is, this is in- insane. There's so many things to talk about. So I'm just going to shut up and pass you this thing. It's heavy, but I know you work out. So here you go.
1: Ugh.
0: Okay. Here you go. You got it? Yeah, I'm on it. You got to actually grab it. There you go. Okay. There you go. Okay. Thor's hammer, man. That is the actual Thor. It's not a replica. That is Thor's actual hammer. Take that for me. Smash some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all.
1: Absolutely. Well, hopefully I am, am worthy of picking up that hammer. But uh, the first one I would say... You know, we do a lot in and around content marketing. Content marketing matters a lot to B2B companies. Uh, and I always hear that it takes a lot of words. Um, the latest uh, study says so that it takes sometimes over 2,000 words to rank number one on Google. And it takes six months to, to sort of get there. Um, okay. That is absolutely not true at all. Um, it, does not, it is not about word count. It's about the right words um, in order to rank. Um, we've had had great l- um, luck and experience in in seeing pages that have three or four hundred words rank well above those that have eighteen hundred or two thousand words. Really, and it really comes down to understanding the network of content. Um, and you'll hear me talk a lot about this concept of, of a network, um, because the world just isn't linear. There's connections between things. And, uh, you know, the, the average user does a whole bunch of different searches before they buy, and they consume a lot of content along along their journey. And all that is sort of interrelated and connected much like a network or a brain. Okay. So um, it does not take 2,000 words to to win the number one spot at Google. It, you just have to have the right words on the page.
0: Man, tell me about this voodoo powder you sprinkled on that 300-page post that dominated all the 2,000-plus, 8-million-page articles on the same topic using the keyword 30,000 times. It's this interrelated network. What specifically – can you can you share the magic voodoo? What – what made that happen?
1: Sure. So um, it was actually dumb luck, I think at the time, but as we started dissecting it and and analyzing it and and really on our path to understand consumer behavior, what we found was that, I mean, think about your own behavior. If you do a search for something, let's say you want to buy a big screen TV, right? You do a search for for a uh, big screen TV, then, then you might see, gosh, there's LED and OLED and 4K and this and that. And, and so you, you execute more and more and more searches. Um, and even if you look at Google or Bing, they kind of tell you the beginning of that network. And they do that by showing you people that search for this also ask these questions or these are related searches. Those are all connections uh, and, and Google, and being surface those things that they see consumers do next, right? If I search for big screen TV, one of the top questions might be, you know, should I buy a 4k TV or or whatever? So, so if you, we didn't we, we kind of don't believe in uh, in reverse engineering, you know, Google or Bing's algorithms to try and figure out, you know, how they work. We we really don't care. What, um, I think that's kind of a recipe for a disaster if you <laughs> if you're one algorithm away from from extinction. Right. In my mind. Um, but if you if you really focus on consumer behavior, which it just so happens, you know, Google and being their search engine result page is is highly optimized towards consumer behavior and trying to anticipate your next move and what you're going to ask next or what you're going to search for next. Um, you know, think about it as uh, what we've been able to do is is this isn't exactly how it works, but it's a good way to think about it to wrap your head around it. But if you did a search, if you said Sean, my business sells big screen TVs and and that's what I care about, we would start with that search, grab all the data on the page, right, maybe the top 100 results, and then we do simultaneous searches for the top questions and the top related searches. There's typically about four related questions and about eight related searches. So one search turns into 12, 12 turns into 144, 144 turns into a 1700. Seventeen hundred turns into like twenty thousand searches to map out just a couple degrees of separation away from where you started, right? Big screen TV. Wow. Map out all of that data and look at how the connections, uh, the connections that exist. And I the, the the secret sauce isn't in the data. The secret sauce is in the math that you use to process and rank the data. Uh, and we have a patent um, now on that that math. The data we get from a number of different sources, um, it's really the power of the math to look at and process tens of thousands or hundred hundreds of thousands of connections um, in, in very fast sort of um, uh, time, uh, time span. And you can't really do that in today's relational databases. We use a lot of graph database um, to process the, the network around a given topic or content pillar. Okay. That's Um, really, really important um, because it allows us to figure out, you know, if I care about big screen TVs or I care about accounting services or I care about or sell uh, some sort of SaaS technology or SaaS product, uh, I need to know as a marketer how I should prioritize my content roadmap. What should I be writing about? What really matters through the lens of the the user and the consumer and, uh, you know, another Another myth I'll just well, say. Hold on before we get to that. I need, sure. we need to dissect this
0: one. because This is yeah. really good. Um, two questions. First one's going to be caveman catch up so that I can catch up to everyone else who's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And then the second one is a little more um, more smart and techie. Um, first, you mentioned that you have that you have that sort of start starting search and then that can turn into related questions and related searches. I noticed that the, the related questions didn't match the number of related searches. There was, I think you said like, four, and then there was eight, there's more of what could you describe what are those two things you're looking at next? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So if you just do a search on Google today, you'll see, you'll see, um, people also search for, or, or questions people ask related questions and Google puts it now so far to the top of the page. Uh, so does Bing and they do that on purpose, right? Because, uh, 10, 15 years ago, we did a search of one or two or three words now we're asking our search engine full-length questions, right? Um, and, and I see him. I, I Google... just did the TV
0: example that we were talking about, and then I see related searches, Costco TV, Walmart. I did the TV yeah, and Walmart TV, TV buying guide. So these are, these are and then I see eight related searches to that initial search that I had.
1: That's right. And if you look towards the top of the page, you should see um, related questions.
0: You're right. People also. Okay. So there's people also ask and related searches.
1: That's right. So what Google and Bing are doing is saying that, okay, for the people that search for big screen TVs, they go on to search for these other related searches, or they go on to ask these other related questions. Now, what you'll see is related searches is all the way at the bottom of the page. Yeah. But the related questions are way up top, typically above, in between the paid ads and the organic listings. They are prime real estate, most of of the time above the fold. So why would Google and Bing do that? Well, they do it because it's important, because it matters, because people ask questions and questions show an incredibly high degree of intent. Got it. So now I understand those two different areas.
0: This is great because, you know, I'm, Familiar with the ad spots and everything, but these are these are innovations that weren't around back when I first started using AOL. You know, back in the- <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, <laughs> innovation, man. Um, so, uh, okay, so knowing that every search has multiple follow-on questions, related questions, and related searches, you're gathering that data, and you you showed how like one question can turn into twelve. Is is the methodology then to To think about what all those initial questions might be or do you then follow this you then go to the where's the best place to purchase a tv you go to that question
1: yep so think of us as uh you start with a category a topic right Uh, a product uh, and and you do that search and then uh, when when you execute that search on google you'll see those four related questions and four related searches so we kind of take that those uh, that and do 12 searches so we search for each one of those and grab that data and then we repeat that process a number of times to, to, until we've mapped out enough of that network of really consumer behavior. It's a knowledge graph for everything that matters in and around a given, uh, a given topic or starting point. Um, and like I said, the, the, the data, everybody has the data. Understanding how to process the data and understanding the math to apply to it to, to rank it properly uh, is, is the most important factor. And then the kicker is it changes at a rate of right around 20% almost every single week, meaning mm. there's so much movement, as and some topics are a little bit more evergreen than others, but for the most part, there's so much net new behavior occurring. As a matter of fact, I think Google um, released a a study or a a metric rather a few years ago that um, the amount of searches that are done on Google, I mean, it's in the trillions, but every year they were looking at a stat of of what percentage of searches were net new. They've never seen them before. Uh, And the number grew up to 16%. Uh, I think it's even 18 or 20% like but but somewhere in that 16 to 20% range is the the quantity of searches that are net new google's never seen them before in a given time frame. So user behavior changes, right? Um, a new Gosh. TV comes out, right? Then then there's 4K, now there's 8K, now there's a whole nother set of questions. Should I buy a 4K or an 8K question? So so you just God. have to kind of stay on top of of that, I mean, the data outside your walls matters ten times more than the, than the data that you have kind of inside your walls when it comes to to really aligning to consumer behavior.
0: I think that's a great soundbite. If that if that isn't one, I'm sure there'll be thirty more. But what you just said, the idea of the data that's out there is often more important than the data that you. And I think I've historically I've done this, but you can treat the data you have as like gold on a in a dragon's den that you're trying to protect not only realizing that you're not acquiring gold or list members and it's constantly disappearing underneath you You don't even realize it. it like people move jobs, they atrophy, like those contact database lists you're so proud of are constantly <laughs> becoming irrelevant. And so it's it's not gold at all in a in a cave. It's it's like currency in a bank. You, you got a little loan and you try to get as much out of it as you can while it's still relevant. But the fact that it's it's that data that's outside is also constantly changing and there's value there. Um, could you, and I, and I know that this is the complicated stuff where this is where you need AI. This is where you need,
1: you that's know, right.
0: Demand jump. This is where you need technology. But if you were to manually try to attempt this, what what is happening when you have all these interrelated searches? What are the what are the connections, and then what is the what is the end result? What knowledge are you getting that you're able to then use um, in you know in SEO or whatever? What what can you use out of that? What is that analysis, and then how can you use it?
1: Yep. Yeah. So the. the um... There's a type of of math theory uh, called graph theory, um, and another component I want to geek out too much here, but but I would say another component called algebraic topology that that allows us to kind of bend time a little bit as we process that graph. But imagine, like you know, what a spreadsheet bend looks. time? Yes. Are we making
0: this like the Joe Rogan podcast?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Finally, exactly. Can we light up exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you 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 have to understand like. Um, a spreadsheet or a database table traditionally is very sort of linear, right? Columns yeah. and rows, but, gotcha. but connections to, to things and to people, that's a graph, that's a network, right? Um, I might be connected to you on LinkedIn and you're connected to other people on LinkedIn. And therefore I'm loosely connected to those people on LinkedIn. Yeah. And as you add more connections and I add more connections, that network changes and evolves, but the link, it is a connection. I have, yeah. you know, friended you on Facebook or uh, we've connected on LinkedIn. Uh, similarly, when you look at, at search or content data, a search term is connected to other related search terms and a search term is connected to, you know, questions, related questions. And those questions and those related search terms are connected to other things. And so if you just think about the world differently, instead of just a spreadsheet of, of, of data, if, if you think about it completely differently, about connections and a connectivity and what's connected to what, right? You'll, it's, what's that saying? Uh, the set or the um, seven degrees of separation between you and, and Kevin, Bacon? Kevin Bacon. It's kind of like that, but for content. So if I'm going to write about a big screen TV, um, if you process the data correctly, the data will tell you that, Hey, if you're going to write about big screen TV, you also need to write about these other things inside of that article so going back to the, the that mythbuster, you know uh what's that saying even a blind even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while right <laughs> yeah, yeah. content marketers that have never understood that the science have been at somewhat at a disadvantage and and so we kind of throw a basic approach of well how? what's the average uh, amount of words that are in the number one result? Well, the average is right around 2000, give or take a few hundred words. Um, but just because that's the average doesn't mean that that's what it takes. What it takes is making sure that if you're writing about a piece of content that you want to rank for a certain search term, that you're also including in that content the things that that search engines would expect. Now you're not, again, trying to unwind how Google or Bing's algorithms work. We don't care. What we care about is consumer behavior. When a consumer cares about big screen TVs, what do they then go on to search for or ask about? And and if you just knew that, if you had a crystal ball, right? And that crystal ball told you, oh, here's all the things that matter. That's what we spent Six years and many millions of dollars building from an AI perspective at Demand Jump to really solve that problem and and make it turnkey. So now you can say, I want to write about this, click a button, and here's a content outline that's packed with everything you need to write about in that piece of content. But all your SEO and keyword research done in a blink of an eye, and the output is uh, whatever you want to write about. Here is a content outline that includes everything that you need to know. Or or include in that article in order to win. Uh, and it's working really well. We're, we're actually, it was true uh, what they say that Cobbler Sun has no shoes. So we, right. we built a great marketing platform, but we never really uh, focused on our own marketing until about a year, year and a half ago. Um in the last 12 months, we've grown 10x in our organic traffic and our leads, inbound leads, have gone up 10x like. What B two B marketer wouldn't want ten X growth in in a year? And we really just did it by by writing the content that our platform was telling us to write, uh, and in, and for each piece of content, you know, including the words that are that Demand Jump told us that we need to write about. Um, okay,
0: this, this is this is fantastic, um, and I think this is one of the areas that gets neglected. A lot of conversation about the NQL being dead, not a lot of conversation around. Understanding that that beast called Google, especially <laughs> in the organic side, it's almost like it's safer on the, the paid side because you can at least kind of get a sense that you're trading something for something. Um, it, you know, and you brought up a great point that when you strike gold, it may not always be the reason you think it is, it isn't the, necessarily the 2k, it's that a whole correlation and causation thing. Just because this posted well and it has 2,000 words doesn't mean every post needs 2,000 words in this case definitely not and you know one that beat it without that many words tell me about why you know, what about these posts when they're written with this outline is is there a reward inherent with minding the connections or what about that why is it getting the reward why is it doing better um yeah maybe you could speak to that
1: yeah absolutely and so so the first thing i'd say is if you <clears throat> There's many. No one knows how Google or Bing really works, except Google or Bing, right? Everybody guesses, yeah. and, and so I'll just say I reserve the right to be smarter tomorrow as new data <laughs> is released. Right. But Google and Bing have both said um, that they do consider other pages on your site for any one-page ranking. Now, they, they also say hey, what you you know that page. What you we look at that page heavily, and that's the bulk of it. But we also look at other signals across your website. But they're not clear at all on what those signals are. So my belief, and again, I reserve the right to be smarter tomorrow, but my belief is what they're looking for is contextual relevance and a complete network, a network of interconnected content. And if you have an incomplete network, they don't let you rank for anything. Uh, Now, maybe you get lucky here or there, but what we've really um, embraced and, and, and have put into action, you can see it. I mean, if you do a search right now on Google for marketing attribution, we're I think number four, uh, right behind Salesforce, HubSpot, and Wikipedia. It's a really great position to be in a highly competitive uh, space and, um, there's a lot of content that went into that it's not about just that one page there there were 30 or 40 pieces of content um all different aspects of that you even beat neil patel out
0: (laughs) he's He's probably pissed about it
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely you can do another search for like consumer insights um and consumer insights you'll see uh google or demand jump is probably in the um, the top couple of results there. Uh, and then you can also see it, it um, if you do a search for what is a good CAC, CAC. So what is a good yeah. customer acquisition cost? Demand jump is number one. And we're number one with a blog that has less than 350 words in it, outranking HubSpot, Neil Patel, and a host of others that have almost 2,000 words in their articles, wow. uh, anywhere from 1,000 to 2,000. And so why because we used the right words on the page we knew that when it came to like what is a good cac people also ask about benchmarks they ask about industry stats and so we included that in that article and it ranked number one with almost no content uh and i shouldn't say almost no no there are 350 words but it's the right words and the right anticipation of consumer behavior right what are they going to ask for or care about next
0: yeah this post it, it this is um seems like a model posted we we should put it in the show notes here um because there's a video right off the bat in case you don't want to read there's there's the industry benchmarks you're mentioning right at the top which is intriguing like you said customer consumer behavior
1: it yeah it's okay see also and most of the content and the stats that are in that article are not ours. We're pointing to a, another third party that put the stats out. We just right. formatted it in a different way. So um, we are giving credit to, you know, via oh, yeah. source links to, to them. And Google does favor, you know, Google and Bing, they, they all favor external links and sources and stuff like that. So we've. Do you we, follow
0: that, that over to Propeller or do they get a little, little love?
1: I believe it's a follow link. I cool. might be wrong on that, but we don't really care about follow versus no follow is that is
0: just like totally window dressing at this point
1: i I think so but again i reserve nobody really i'll preface it with nobody knows the answer to the the, to those questions but we we've chosen not to care about follow no follow Uh, Mm -hmm. so yeah so
0: so for this particular were the insights into the fact that the benchmarks were important was that something that crunching all the data and, and then seeing the network effect that was that like another search so we're saying like you know what is a good cac and then also well what is what is a good one for my industry yeah was like a was that like a related search and you, know, you kind of pulled it all together then okay
1: so here's the yeah. full answer yeah great question so we um demand jump i would say that it's an evolution right over six years we set out to to look at a lot of competitive data to allow marketers to connect all of their data and to solve on the attribution problem what uh one of the one of my favorite um uber data driven cmos amit shaw at a 1-800-Flowers um uh, I remember showing him our platform to get his, his thoughts in the early days. And, and he made a comment, I'll never forget. And he said, okay, but with this competitive data, I mean, Sean, how do I know I'm not copying from the dumb kid in school, right? How do I know my competitors are doing it right? Like True. Uh, what, and I, I didn't have an answer. Oh, like, That's a, I don't know. I uh, guess you don't. But it sat and burned uh, in the back of my brain for about a year. And, uh, and the real, what he's really asking is, you know, competitive data is really a proxy for, for consumer behavior. When can competitors do it right? You know, they are aligning better to consumer behavior. Well, what if you could just bypass that? What if you could just understand consumer behavior in the blink of an eye? And, mm-hmm. and then you don't care about your competitors. You just align your marketing initiatives directly to the way customers behave. Uh, and that led us down this path of all right, how do we get these insights that are that, that marketers need and, and crave, and are you know we we all have our data, um, right, right. but then you're really only as good as yesterday's numbers, right? Uh, how right. do we break out of that and get data about our, how our customer behaves in this moment so that we can align our our initiatives a lot better, take out a lot of the guesswork in marketing, and and the truth is, Tacey, we. In every company I've been involved with in the last 20 years, uh, Overstock went from 3 million to 800 million in about a five-year period. Cha-Cha went from uh, 6 million monthly visits to I think 80 million monthly visits in about a two-year period.
0: Um,
1: this mobile app I was involved with went from nowhere to, to number 10, I think in, in, in its category. And all of those growth stories the growth occurred because we figured something out, and it was not the data that we had. It had nothing to do with our data. It was some insight around consumer behavior or competitive data that that gave us an aha moment. Some data outside our walls that that where the light bulb just went on, and we went, "Holy shit, this is unbelievable!" Um, and that's every growth story I've ever been involved with exact same every single time we figure something out based on data we didn't have. And that led to massive growth. Um, and that's what we, we really set out at demand jump to, to productize, right? How do we get lightning in a bottle for marketers, right? How do we show them something that is absolutely amazing that no one is doing that, that no one, no one's done before that we all want. Right.
0: Um,
1: and so when we, we were in the early stages of trying to figure out this knowledge graph where you know, our goal was you know, within 15 minutes, I want to plug something in, so a category, a topic, something, and I want to see every bit of insight that I need to help me align to consumer behavior better and do my job more um, and, and just really crush the numbers. And so what, that what is a good CAC article was sort of the output of an early alpha of the math and the data and 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 sort of what we had, that mission that we had set, uh, set out to do, we basically used uh, that as an, a little bit of an R&D project. And not only is it number one in Google, it took two and a half weeks for it to rank number one and crush um, giants in the space, again, because it has the right words in that article. And, and that's when we knew that we were onto something, right? The other myth that you, you hear is it takes six months to rank for SEO. It doesn't. It takes two and a half weeks if you do it right. Really? Yeah. Now, no SEO consultant wants to say that because they don't want to be on the hook for it, right? But right, uh, right. they
0: like to kick the can down the road. Gosh, if I, I've only probably met one SEO person, yeah. You know, if you want to consider yourself one, two uh, that isn't just selling snake oil, and it's like. Ugh. But yeah, they're always kicking that can down the road six months, then Google will reward you with the wrong keyword, probably. But you're saying no, it doesn't? Too no,
1: me- not at all. And that is one of the biggest myths forever. And, 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 the, and the truth is, the myth exists because people don't understand the science and the network behind it. Okay. Right? Content, <clears throat> Content is a creative game, right? Meaning... if I had to write a blog, I would suck. It would take me, you know, two days to write one simple blog article. I'm more of an analyst, a data person. I think you have like, you know, some people are more creative. Some people are more analytical and, and it's a pendulum. You're not one or the other. There's, you know, you can be both. Um, but I definitely am way on the, the one side of analytical, uh, who writes content. Well, creative people write content, Mm -hmm. right. And, and, a lot of times creative people struggle with the analytics and the data can they interpret it can they see it yes but can they go grab it for themselves and, and slice and dice and twist and turn the data to find the answers not always that's not their skill set um so think of demand jump as sort of enabling all of that we're like the data scientists in your pocket uh for the content writer where they can just say i want to write about this and we say here's your outline and everything that that you need to know in order to to rank well uh, so that was our our mission, and it's gone it's gone incredibly well. I think we've produced over fourteen or fifteen thousand content outlines in the first three months we launched that product. Um, and gotcha. our customers love it. It's led to incredible ratings and reviews on G two Crowd. And what's the one that does the content outlines? That, that's our Insights product.
0: Insights, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we really have two products. We have insights and then attribution. So insights give you the data you need to to align better to consumer behavior, to write really good content, write faster, rank better, right? Um, and then attribution is then how do you how do you know uh the average B2C? In B2C, it's about six to eight marketing touch points on average before Mm. a conversion or a sale occurs. And B2B. I think the most recent study by Gardner or Forrester was around 22 to 26 marketing touch points Mm. that that are required to lead um, or on average that occur before a conversion event happens. Um, So how do you attribute that conversion, that sale to those many different touch points? That's like the greatest problem that's never been solved in in marketing, right?
0: Right. And then you have people that are trying to get those touches all done in one day thinking that Well, they heard 26 touches. Let me just email them 26 times. Yeah, not exactly. That's not what we're saying.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it is a journey. And if you think about the world as a network, right? If you think about it as a, as a, you know, you think about your own journey, when you go to buy something, you go buy a car or you buy a TV or you buy whatever, you don't just do one search and then buy, right? Right. You do a search, you, you look at a couple of websites, you do you, know, you ask different questions or do different searches on the, the search engines. You there's there might be several different paths different people take, but those are all connections in my mind in a in a network. And so when you look at all right now how you know, what do a million people do when they go to buy big screen TVs and you put all of that data together, right. uh, now you have a knowledge graph and a network of connectivity and uh, and interactions. And that all applies to content, which is also why um, if you have an incomplete network of content, sometimes the search engines won't let you rank at all for anything, right? And if you look at, um, is what, it what Serge- do you think that, that is
0: you sort of how, I know we don't work at Google, but like, it, what does it say if you, if
1: you're, you're incomplete, you're not answering all the questions. So, if you, if you look at the college paper that I think Sergey Brin and, and um, Larry Page like, wrote, uh, it talks to, about contextual relevance, right? Meaning it's not just good enough to find a, a word on a page, things have to be related to each other. Well, what does that relation mean? Well, it's a backlink, a link between one page and another, right? That's why backlinks in SEO and content are so incredibly important. Now a lot of people try and game that system, right. but the reality is uh, we don't. We we did not spend one ounce of time thinking about back backlinks when we, uh, in the last year year and a half, we we've, we've invested zero time in backlinks. We've invested one hundred percent of our time in connecting our own content together. Right. Making sure that when it came to marketing attribution, that we're creating blog posts for each question that a customer asks or creating a blog post for each type of search that we see consumers sort of ask. And then interconnecting that content together. And that forms a network. Yeah. Um, what we've seen in our results is if we write about something and we didn't have any content a- about it, it could be the best article on the planet. The chances of us ranking number one on Google are almost none. It's, we've never been able to do it. However, when we attack a content pillar, right? Uh, when we attack marketing attribution, we used our product to identify the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 pieces of content we needed to create we you, then made sure that each piece is, uh, each piece of content had the right words, yep. and then we linked it all together. So, oh, you care about, if you care about this, click here to read more about it in this article, right? That creates a natural network. Um, and one of the things I always hear um, from our customers and from other content marketers, they'll say, gosh, you're, there are these things in and around this content pillar, but I don't care about them. And therefore like they don't apply to my business and therefore I'm not going to write about them. And my answer is always, okay, then then you might as well pack up and go home. You're, You're probably not going to have a complete network if you're just choosing which pieces to write about. If consumers care about it, so should you. It doesn't matter how you sell, it matters how she buys right? And you have to align to that behavior. And and so then then the next question I'll get is, well, well, then why should I write about something that doesn't really apply to me? Well, it might not apply to you. It might be farther up the funnel, if you will, right? Yeah. Um, then great, show links to other sites or or solutions, right? How many blog articles have you seen? We're like, oh, these are the top five places to go to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's perfectly fine. And then you've written about it. You've added value to that consumer. And and at the end of the day, um, who do you turn to to answer questions? You You don't turn to people that you trust or that you don't trust, right? You turn to people that you trust. Right. Said another way, if you answer the questions your consumer has, you start to form that relationship with the customer and they start to trust you. Even if you don't have the solution, you don't have to have the solution. You have to answer their question and add value and, and start to form that relationship. Yeah. And, and then good things will happen down the road. Yeah, it's,
0: it's, in, it's, it's solving their, their pain in general, whether you can sell them something about it or not um builds that trust and it just makes me think about wikipedia you know inner inner links to itself the best of anyone right they just have you can this article this this stub this 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 that this category this they they're masters of it so no wonder they you see their results high up in there i mean even naturally whether they they tip it extra or not you just it's interconnected it is a complete resource that's right. on everything, um, but you don't have to be Wikipedia, but I could see be that complete, what'd you call it, the pillar, but complete network of, of the answers around that consumer's question. And I think one thing to highlight for people that I, I'm really reminded of on this conversation is that Google searches are consumer behavior, right? It, it, because in, the, in, you mentioned this earlier, the data that's out there versus the data you have, the data you have inside that you brought in you probably biased it in some way, shape or form because you put it in categories, you're storing it somewhere um, and maybe you don't have the full picture, but people searching for TVs do search for this other thing. And Google lets you know that because they know people are searching and they want to serve them. So it's not like they're trying to trick us all on the business side. They're saying, no, 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 I'm serving the consumer. Here's what they're searching for now and in the future, here's their tree. And that is like a unadulterated following that customer shopping at the mall at their home. Like you were seeing there's, they started here and they went here and here and here. And to your point, ignore the, the fact that they're shopping around at your own peril.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Google, I look at Google and Bing and, and Baidu and uh, DuckDuckGo, like all of the different search engines. They're a proxy for user behavior, mm. right? They're aligning yeah. to to user behavior. So is Amazon uh, or overstock.com or, you know, pick a retailer Uh, you used to go to 10, 20 years ago, you'd go to a product page and you'd see, oh, may we suggest these other products? Uh, and no one, and, and I think the consumer would say, no, you may not suggest, I don't trust right. you. So what do you see now? You see, hey, people that looked at this product also bought these other products, right? We trust those, those signals better as consumers. Right. But, um, but every company tries to align better to consumer behavior. The challenge is, the, is data. We don't have the data as marketers because we, don't we sell a certain product or a thing and, and we spend all of our time guessing, guessing on which keywords we should pop in or this or that. And that guesswork comes with such waste uh, in, in the marketing space. It just, it's incredibly wasteful. If, if you just had a map, if you had like ways for marketers uh, that just said, here's how, you know, if you're selling X, Y, or Z these are the things that you need to write about. And, and here's what consumers are really doing. And here's the best way to align to it. Like that takes that, that that's like the easy button for marketers, but that's it doesn't easy. exist but before demand jump. We just didn't believe that it existed. There's, there's so many companies out there that, that just inundate you with data, but yeah, don't yeah. tell you what to do with it. Yeah, so we yeah. wanted to take yes, yeah,
0: death part. by reporting. Yeah, here, here, I once had a question of an SEO firm. Hey, what is, uh, what have you been up to lately? Cue the Google Analytics report, you know, avalanche. When here's here's eighty things. Great. What does any of it mean? <laughs> what takeaway do you have from any of that? Like, there's nothing for That's me. Right.
1: That is exactly right. And I, I think, like, your data is valuable, right? Okay. But it, what do we do with our data? Well, right. we optimize it, right? We learn from what we've done in the past to improve that going forward. But the yeah, okay. the, the gap is still how do buyers behave right what is their journey what is their path and once you know that it's almost like your own data doesn't matter anymore right yeah. you just align to consumer behavior and and good things happen from there
0: wow man man I, so many things moving and shaking um
1: curious what keeps you up at night what kind of challenges are you facing these days <sighs> that's a great it's a great question so we, I would say at DemandJump, we, we set out to tackle um, two, two of the biggest problems that uh, we didn't believe had, had been solved yet. Uh, one was really, you know, how do you give marketers the easy button? How do you... How do you show them that lightning in a bottle, right? How do you make their jobs so much easier and take away uh, a lot of the wasted time, effort and spend? Yeah. Um, And that led us to our insights product. Um, What keeps me awake there is I think the same thing any product person would would say, which is sort of what's next, right? What do we do next to, to constantly maintain our edge? Um, we, we've got something I think no one else has, but it's never good enough, right? And then you always want want that next thing. So one of the things we're working on right now, uh, we've heard a lot of our content marketers say, uh, you know, starting from a blank canvas is a real pain in the butt, right? But if I could, but if I could almost start with a few paragraphs. It it kicks in the creativity and I write much better articles. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so now we're we're using AI to write a draft paragraph, uh, so you can so we can not only hand them an outline, but give them a couple sentences in different areas to start with. Um, I don't believe AI everyone's always scared of, uh, uh, with that AI will replace jobs. I don't believe AI is going to ever write good enough content that has your brand voice and tells the story the way that you want to tell it, just not going to happen. But if it can, it can, can kind of give me that, uh, that a little bit of an edge or a starting point, uh, that means like, um, so we're using AI right now to do all your keyword and SEO research, produce a content outline for any piece of content, and now, self-write sort of a few sentences in different sections of that content. Um, that's not going to replace a content writer ever. That's going to improve the quality of their you sure. Word. I
0: only need two hundred sentences, <laughs> right. two hundred
1: words. I mean, look, the, 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 the two much. stats will floor you. Two stats that will absolutely floor you. And, and one of these stats is about a year old, so I'm sure it's not. It's a bigger number, but four and a half million blog posts uh, happen every day. Four and a half wow. million pieces of content released every day. That's over a year old. The second stat: over ninety percent of blog articles receive zero traffic. Well, well, hold on a second. Ninety percent—that means only one out of ten blogs gets traffic. Um, that is mind-numbingly poor, yeah. right? That means that that content there's ninety percent waste in content marketing. Yeah. So. so Marketers need that edge, um, so that's that's the one thing that kind of keeps me up at night. On our our, is sort of what do we do next to constantly innovate uh, and challenge the status quo. Just because it's been done a certain way, um, we kind of oftentimes will say, if this is the problem, let's forget about everything about how everyone else is solving it and mm-hmm. start over. Now, how do we innovate given today's today's world and today's tools and today's AI? Man, content activation is
0: such a thing. You know, you have to mind it. The people, they're just trying to create more and more. It's like we need to shake. Like, this is the podcast that shakes them. And, you know, for those listening, if you know someone who's creating content at the wazoo and they're not minding, is anyone actually reading this stupid thing Shake them, send them an email, send them a meme and an email that wakes them up out of their stupor because that's the problem. You can write and write and write for days. And then, and it's not like that writing is quick either. These no. people are investing like their <clears throat> lifeblood into these articles and then no one sees it. Like, let's like make that not happen.
1: And we, we yeah. have been guilty of that in five years, four and a half to five years uh, uh, from start. So, about four and a half, five years later, we had a full time content person Mm -hmm. and we had produced 116 blog articles with very limited results. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was the 117th article that was that what is a good CAC
0: uh,
1: article that was the the light bulb moment uh, and quickly generated so many inbound leads. One piece of content was generating, uh, I think 80% of our inbound leads, a single blog post. Right. Um, and my, when I saw the results, like I got so excited because I was like, wow, if we could turn every piece of content, instead of writing 116 pieces of content over four and a half, five years that didn't work. What if we could get that time back? And what if every single one of those pieces of content had lightning in a bottle results? Yeah. Like that would change the face of this, of this company. Yeah. And the good news is that that bet worked. I mean, to go 10 X increase in organic traffic and leads, um, in one year, I wish we would have figured this out earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right now Neil
0: Patel is sharpening up some sort of sword or something to come after you. He's like, "Damn it! Do you know how long I've been building that?" (laughs) This guy swoops in with some magic voodoo, but yeah, the the point is so accurate. Would you want to be playing a slot machine where every hundred and seventeen draws you get a little ding, ding, ding? You know, and it's (laughs) no like if don't make hundred seventeen, make twelve, but make them the right kind, the interconnected network the kind that answers that whole question. Yeah, um, that get, whole get out point. of your way
1: too, right? Get out of your way and stop yeah. thinking about how it's going to benefit you. Think about right. it through the lens of the consumer. Right? If I, um, I, I, I just, I can't, it makes me cringe every time someone says, yeah, I get, I get that this is important to this category or area, but I don't want to write about it because it has nothing to do with our business. Okay, right. that's kind of like walking in, like how would you feel as a consumer? Walking in to uh, to uh, to buy a new car, going to the car dealership, you buy a new car, and and right before you click the buy button, right, right before you sign that the contract, you ask your salesperson, "Hey, what are the best tires to use for this tire or for this car? Right? I love this sports car, but what what are the best best tires I should put on it?" If his answer was, "Oh, I don't know, we don't sell tires," well, really, like. That, that would lead to a horrible user experience. And you'd probably go, okay, then why am I buying this car from you? Like, if, yeah. you, if you can't answer those questions or help yeah. me out, why should I help you and buy this car from you? I'll go down the street to someone that is going to help me. Yep. And that's content marketing, right? It doesn't matter uh, how you sell. It matters how she buys. And if you align to that and help her out or him out along their journey, you're building a relationship of trust. Yep. And that yeah. matters in the end.
0: Of the- it's something that B2B can borrow from B2C. I mean, you, people know you go to an e- e-com website. You're trying to check out any little bit of friction, any little bit of uncertainty. This is not going to work out. I can't trust these people, which you brought up to the trust. Then I'm out. I'm just not going to, I'll go somewhere else. I'll buy something else. And if I'm asking a simple question, does this, do these plates have lead in them? And by the way, people, you should check your plates out because they probably have lead in them. We just went through a whole new plate buying thing, but they probably do. But if they can't answer that for you, they probably do, in which case you probably shouldn't buy them. Uh, And and then there's no sale. Same thing happens. And you may not even notice it on the B2B side because it's such a longer journey. But if you can't you know, address certain conditions, you may not get on the phone with sales. It's just not going to happen. So this is yeah, brilliant, man. Brilliant. It's a,
1: it's a great, it's a great opportunity too, for B2B companies to reevaluate and take a look at the content that they have. Like, you're trying to rank for one thing. Yeah. Um, know that, that oftentimes it might not have anything to, it might have something to do with that piece of content, but it might be the fact that you don't have enough content around that category or area that's linked together properly on your yeah. site. And, and because of that, the search engines believe you to be uh, incomplete. You have an incomplete network. And if you have an incomplete network, then you're not the authority. Right. If you're incomplete, not Incomplete, it's like you, you, you
0: could be a faker. You could have just been right.
1: trying to trick
0: them. Like that's almost like a, like a trick signal. I'm just trying to trick you because I've got, you know, half a dozen articles about this keyword. And it's not the whole – but it's not the whole buyer – the whole buyer pillar, the journey.
1: That's
0: right. Yeah, parts of it, and then it's it's clear that you're you're doing SEO. You're just trying to show up for this keyword, but you're not thinking about the whole thing. So you're probably a, a site full of you know lead capture pages. Great, Create a bunch of great magnets, but you don't actually know anything.
1: And everybody wants to just focus on the bottom of the funnel, right? Right. But- but if you, ha- if, at least with content, what we're seeing is if you don't have enough, uh, enough content around that network, you're never going to rank for the bottom of the funnel. So you don't have a choice. You, you, have to, you have to kind of take a step back and think about it through the lens of, of the consumer or the buyer and what they go through yeah. uh, along their journey and make sure that you've got the right areas. Um, yeah, that's
0: beautiful. Dude, uh, my next question is, who are you? How do you know these things? How have you be, been involved in all these top projects? Can you like take us back in time? Who is Sean? Who is, take a little Sean days. Where'd you grow up? Did you always know you're going to be just dominating the world of, of of paths and networks and marketing and all this crazy material?
1: So I am um, kind of high IQ. I'm pretty sure every point of IQ was stolen away from EQ. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but i also was a bit of i think a rebel so i uh got in a fight with my parents when i was in high school and ended up dropping out of high school uh went got my gd and aced it and then they kick
0: went. you out or you you're able to stay
1: <laughs> and, uh, i moved out and they oh you moved yeah so that-
0: yeah the iq and you're like guys i've already thought about <laughs> this nine times that's so just I wow. told
1: the school that I moved out of the school district. And so the school basically said, hey, in order to continue going to school here, you have to pay tuition. And it was like $800. And I w- I had three months to go in my senior year of high school. So wow. uh, my parents thought, well, he'll have to move back now. But I was too stubborn and too much of a rebel. So I just said, nope, then I'm out uh, and went on my own. Now, I have a great relationship with my parents now. But yeah, oh, uh, good. But- yeah, yeah not at that that particular time as an 18-year-old kid. I was uh, a little bit of a hellion. Um, a launch though, huh?
0: Did you have to like grow <laughs> up real quick at that point or?
1: At that point I did. And I was in the restaurant business. I thought I wanted to be a chef. And uh, a year later I realized, you know, it's more of a, it's a passion, it's a hobby, but it's not a career. And I always wanted to be in computers and and so I went and uh, this was in 92, 1992, 93, I went to uh, the University of Cincinnati, uh, great school, but in the early 90s, computer science was so backwards, I was learning more uh, talking to people at like CompUSA or Best Buy or whatever <laughs> than I was Man. reading about technology that was you know on punch cards when Windows 95 was about to launch. Um, the, the, the colleges were so far behind in computer science, at least the ones that, that I had the ability to go to. So I went to school for two and a half semesters and ended up dropping out. So I dropped out of high school, then I dropped out of uh, college. And the best advice I got early in life was from my uncle who, Jim, who said, uh, he said, Sean, uh, I know you're in the restaurant business. You're trying to do this. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to learn this on the side and go to college here. He said, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to learn something you need to live it, eat it, breathe it, sleep it, shit it. Like you need to do everything in thing anything, dive into it. You're never gonna get there. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts if you try and learn it on the side, you're not committed. And I hated the advice in the moment, but it, it, it still to this day, I'll never forget the, the, the sort of uh, feeling I had when I walked away from that conversation I went, holy shit, he's absolutely right. I quit my job. And for an 18-year-old kid trying to, 19-year-old kid at that point trying to make it on on their own, uh, and I I quit working in the restaurant business, dropped yeah. out of school, and and went literally door to door to a couple of different computer retailers in Cincinnati, and got lucky. I I found one that was uh, a startup company. Uh, Dean Butler, the guy that started crafters, had founded this, and it was uh, a yeah. A great startup opportunity, and um, they they told me, Sean, you know, we, we we you can't work more than forty hours. We can, we don't do overtime. And I said, okay, but um, then don't pay me more than forty hours. And uh, on the f- first the second week, my boss pulled me into his office and he said, Sean, what the hell are you doing? You've got seventy hours on your punch card. And I was like, yeah. And he said, I told you I can't pay you for more than forty. And I said, yeah. What's the problem? And he said, well, I can't pay you for this other 30 hours. I'm not going to pay overtime. And I said, I know, then just pay me the 40. And he he goes, well, why would you do that? Why would, I don't get it. (laughs) Why would you work 30 extra hours? And I said, because I was very clear when I came here and told you like, this is my education. I want to live it, eat it, breathe it, sleep it, shit it. I want to, I'm I'm all in. And this is my education. Uh, I dropped out of school so I could get, experience um on the job and and in the trenches and he was blown away three months later i moved from like assistant uh from a regular sort of sales associate so imagine comp usa walking in and or best buy and seeing that person walking around like that was me three months later assistant sales manager three months later sales manager three months later i was the store manager um, a year later i was running i was the vp of operations and we were rolling out had a plan to roll out several hundred stores, and but we ended up selling the company to Blockbuster Entertainment. Probably not the best person to acquire. <laughs> Wait, the actual
0: uh, Blockbuster? So Blockbuster bought CompUSA?
1: That's right. Bill Fields wow. was uh, Bill Fields. I think was the, the had the vision at the time, um, but he he also his vision was almost like the Geek Squad in Best Buy, right? Uh, yeah. As the vi- video is dying in Blockbuster, let's take half the store and put in a, a geek squad basically yeah. uh, which was pc upgrades the the startup i was working at and what um, he
0: maybe should have bought was this thing called netflix well he left bill <laughs> okay, left.
1: Good. sumner redstone came in and said get out of anything that's not vhs related and and uh that seems to have been a wonderful strategy for yeah
0: i think there's still one store left in alaska <laughs> uh,
1: that's the last <laughs> i've heard Exactly. So then from that startup, I just catapulted from one to the next. I've never been a nine to five kind of person because, uh, again, I learned some great advice in in the early days that if you have to invest in your knowledge and invest in your career, um, that led me all over the country, I went from Cincinnati to Detroit, Memphis, Chicago, um, Salt Lake is where Overstock yeah. was, and then um, Scottsdale for a few years, and then now I'm in Indianapolis on the, and I've been here the last 10 years, but probably 20, I've been involved with probably 20 different startup companies along the way, had some great wins um, and some some phenomenal losses. And, and I say phenomenal because um, you learn from your mistakes, not your successes. Uh, and you should I believe people should celebrate their failure. That's how you learn, right? You fall, so you learn how to get back up.
0: Yeah, that. You, when things are going really well, you're just like, I'm not sure it's going well. I'm not <laughs> sure how we got here, what's happening. When things go wrong, you're like, oh, I see.
1: <laughs> in, in marketing, we call it A-B testing, right? A-B uh, testing,
0: that's right. Um, right? Your yeah. life, absolutely. A hypothetical question for you. Sure. Um, I may or may not have a time machine here with me in New Hampshire. Yeah. And, uh, you know, COVID's over. Have you come visit? Come over some beers and some lobster. We dust off the old time machine. We get to go back in time and and see you. Um, and it, it we normally say, you know, it's interesting because you like, you're like peace uh to school, right? You even just uh, wait for um for the computer science and whatnot, did you just bounce out of university yeah, right right
1: dropped out um halfway through my third semester and never looked back now i actually That's taught a couple so, classes in so college you get,
0: so you get to go visit yourself four days after you dropped out of school um and talk to yourself then what kind of things would you tell yourself what kind of recommendations advice and and not for the world just for you knowing your journey that you've been through
1: yeah i i would say um probably three major things I would tell myself um, number one don't be afraid to make a mistake um, because no one wants to make mistakes right uh, and we all it's it, it, sometimes there's such a fear of failure and and there certainly is with me so why I've done startup companies as a career I, I don't know because only one out of five makes it but yeah. um, but but fear of failure, I needed to finally get out of my way and and just charge forward and try something in order for it not to work so that I learned how to do it right. Uh, and, and so not being afraid to fail because that's how you learn. I, I haven't learned anything from the success. I've learned everything uh, from, from the failures in life, and that has led to success. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a great stat out there. A million. Um, they they polled a bunch of millionaires and a bunch of non-millionaires, and they found that the difference between a millionaire and a not and a, and not a millionaire has nothing to do with pedigree. It has nothing to do with college. It has nothing to do about where you grew up and what part of town and who your family was. Nothing. None of that matters. Um, the single greatest thing that separated millionaires from not millionaires didn't stop trying when they failed Mm. people that didn't have that they were not millionaires when they failed on something backed out and never tried again uh so so i would just encourage my young self to not be afraid to fail learn from it and and you know iterate right the second thing i would say um is probably the most important marketing lesson that I wish I would have learned so much earlier, which we've kind of talked about, which is it's it, your data doesn't matter nearly as much as the data that you don't have. And so be on a quest for that, right? Look for data that guides you to how consumers behave because once you figure that out, um, good things will happen i I spent way too much time again being an analyst right uh diving into the data that i had
0: right because that's
1: all i had but if i had invested more of my time into finding the 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 bits of data that i didn't have
0: yeah i would have
1: gotten there so much faster in in life um beautiful now that was two was that two that was two. two um Gosh, that's okay. That's two big
0: ones. I just want to make sure because I think you said there's three things.
1: Yeah, the third one. um, The third one would probably be to try and find some sort of like a work life balance. But I don't even know what that phrase means. And so I probably wouldn't even give myself that advice. Uh, But I do think there needs to be a balance. Like uh, when I'm so I, I work 70, 80, 90 hours a week, I just can't turn it off. Um, but it's in those times I've learned, and this is sort of a recent—only um, well, in the last couple of years I've learned this lesson, I guess. Getting out of my head and focusing on something totally different, all of a sudden the light bulb will go on. Go on for a problem in, uh, that I was trying to solve in my career. It your mind has to let go of that thing yeah. uh, and get get out of it. And so finding your passion or your hobby or, or something that will take your attention totally off of work and the problems all of a sudden let your brain work um, in, in, a, in, a, in a way that I have never anticipated. It's yeah.
0: Some Something else, like a non-marketing thing, if you're a marketer, or just something completely different.
1: Um, it could be hiking or you yeah. know, bicycling, running. I mean, if it's something outdoors, it could be, be something as simple as playing a video game, but whatever the passion is that, that you have, you've got to balance that with, with your work. Not, not, um, and it actually—it's counterintuitive. You think it takes you away from work, or your work takes you away from right. your hobby. It allows your mind to to get out of its way, right? Yeah. It allows you to stop thinking about it, and then all of a sudden, subconsciously, your brain keeps going. But when you're thinking about it, you kind of—what's that saying? You can't see the forest through the trees sometimes. Right. right. You got to stop looking at the forest.
0: <laughs> right. So sometimes the shower, you're just like, why did I have all these great ideas? Because you weren't thinking just for a second about that meeting at work, but then you couldn't help it. Oh, Eureka. What, what are some of the fun things that did uh, you do when you have time, you're not crushing your
1: So So I was actually, uh, at home, uh, but my wifi, we were having internet connection. So I came in over to our office, but, uh, at home, you would have seen my fridge and then right next to my fridge, another fridge with about six taps on it. Uh, so I love to make beer. Um, you know, one of the, I never, I thought I would be the guy that would be like a homebrew kind of guy, but one of our first customers, uh, our first customer at Demand Jump was a homebrew store and we helped them like 10x their business in wow. inside of six months I think. Um, and, and I, I got, this was back before the uh, we did it kind of on trade, uh, really, as oh, wow. the company was being formed, I basically just said, don't worry about paying me. I'm just doing this to kind of validate that this will work, and we can form a company around it. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I got to pay something. I said, well, give me an in-store credit. It's so like, so w- w- whatever would work for you. And we never even set a dollar figure on it. And uh, I think after a year, I had $15,000 worth of in-store credit. Uh, and so I ended up buying a uh, all this equipment and getting my dad into it and, uh, and getting, making, so making beer is definitely uh, one. And I would say the other is travel. I love uh, to travel. So I've been going nuts over the last year. But now that I'm fully vaccinated, I'm looking forward to, to going back overseas and uh, kind of getting out of our uh, getting out of the country at least once or twice a year to see how third world countries live and and uh it just brings so much perspective
0: oh yeah totally people i think a lot of people in this country could totally benefit from a little uh field trip uh forced or not to go visit a country where they don't actually have plumbing and you have to deal with that it puts life in perspective you totally appreciate everything
1: and um and but there's beauty in those places too um, I got to wow. cash out after overstock and I took 14 months off to go travel around the world. Wow. Um, Where'd you go? Any the-
0: highlights, any favorites?
1: Yes. Um, so I saw 34 countries in 14 months. Um, nice. My job was travel. Uh, so it was a great job. Um, <laughs> and I, I would say the top two places, I, I love Spain and, and a lot of the islands in and around Spain. I just, um, just love that whole area. But the number one place was Thailand. Um, mm. I've never seen so much poverty, right. People literally living on shacks on stilts, right. Because of the rainy season, just, but such a happy and sweet culture. Uh, and so funny. I had in six weeks that I was, was there in Southeast Asia, um, Thailand, uh, has a special place in my heart. I just met. So I had such a wonderful time walking six blocks down Bangkok. In six blocks, I had nine people come up to me and just say, Hey, do you need anything? Are you okay? Are you like, if imagine a U.S. city where that would happen? I mean, can you, is there a city in the U S that that has ever happened? Like, I, I can't think of one actually, if I'm in New York, it's sometimes a little, you know, it can the be opposite. a little negative, right? Stay away. But yeah. Six blocks, nine different people came up just to see if I was okay and needed anything. Cause I kind of looked out of place. Um, it was, it was just such a sweet culture
0: huh you know um I, I want to talk about more about um thailand that happened to me at a subway in tokyo um where they they didn't have transliteration of the of the of the stops so they're all in kanji and you had to you had to count the dots between where you were and where you wanted to go to figure out what station to get to and um our hotel map had the names but we're trying to figure out where we are and i'm like staring at the map and <sighs> Right. Like, hey, excuse me do you need be like yes please like what station is this even right. <laughs> they're helping us but yeah something about thailand i've only had a chance to go there once and only in bangkok did you get out to any of the beaches or in the surrounding towns? i did
1: yeah i started in koh samui and uh um koh Yang, which are two islands um so phuket is on one side of the yeah. Peninsula and Koh Phangan uh, and Koh Samui on the other side, and there's a diving island right near there called Kotao. Tao. Uh, but I started in the islands, then went to Bangkok, then went. Um, Took a train ride, an overnight train ride from Bangkok up to the northern part of Thailand, Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai, and yeah. uh, it reminded me of an Indiana Jones uh, movie. And like a can of WD-40 would have gone a long way on that train, right? But I, I remember because <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was everything was rickety, rickety, Uh But you, you, there were chickens, I think, and and livestock in, the, in one of the 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 cabs or whatever, one of the train cars but I'll never forget going to the bathroom. Right. And you kind of lift up the seat and there there's no plumbing. It was just a hole. And all you saw were the tracks underneath it. flying by, as you're going really yeah. fast on the train, yeah. but um, got to Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai, and then kind of went into Lao, and then ultimately back to, to Bangkok. But I spent a good six weeks there. It was supposed to be three or four weeks and I kept extending it because the, the sweetest people, number one, it's difficult to, it's I mean, literally on the other side of the planet. Yeah. You put a, a a needle through the earth uh in the Midwest, the other side is Thailand. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: and so it's literally the other side of the, the planet. So it takes, you know, it took a while to get there. 26 hours of planes, trains, and, uh, and boats and automobiles uh, to finally get to, to the islands. Um, the best experience of my life from a travel perspective, uh, hands down, no, no question. It was unbelievable
0: you know what is it about it cuz i noticed two things um i noticed one about 15 seconds after i leave the hotel air conditioning i am drenched in sweat <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> and then two everyone's smiling yes you mentioned the poverty and but but they're like literally smiling and not, not even now they didn't talk to me but i probably didn't look friendly but like but people were smiling at me at least and oh. and you're right in new york other places, you know it's Smile. no you're inviting some bad conversation no they're just smiling at happy have a happy day
1: here's my smile yeah why, why are you like that that it is the it, this is the unexplainable thing that i just can't wrap my head around like i've never seen so much popor, poverty and yeah. such a happy sweet culture
0: yeah They
1: they really do have a very friendly um they're like just innately they want to help and they want to laugh and they want to have a good time. And so when you mix that, right, like normally poverty, you don't you, you, when you see that much poverty, you don't think about fun. You think that they're not having fun. These people had more fun than Americans have uh, just laughing and joking around with each other. But I went to a, 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 a tie, a Muay Thai, like boxing Did match, you? Did uh, you? Oh, the, an actual match. Her. It was a. It was a. There were like two or three different um, matches in this. It is what you would expect it to be, right? You go into this little kind of building and you see the the kind of boxing ring up there. And, and I'll, I'll never forget. Like I was sitting down and I was wearing sort of tie pants, which were kind of baggy. Um, and all of a sudden, I had like three people like tapping me on the shoulder, and I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa! What's going on? Am I going to get mugged? <laughs> and and they all were pointing to my wallet, and one person was holding it. it was like, Your wall, Your wallet fell out. And I was like, "Oh, oh if, shit!" If I were in in a major U.S. city, like that wallet would have been gone. No one would like. It would be at just, Macy's right now. It's exactly right. I'd be making a bunch of phone calls, canceling all my credit cards, and yes. trying to figure out what what to do about it. But they that was just another sign of how sweet this culture is. Um, even I, I took a couple of days in Thailand, and we went up the, some of the mountains on like a backpacking excursion. And the guides that were taking us were just a laugh a minute. One of the girls was like, "Oh my god!" And he, the the guide went, "Oh my Buddha!" (laughs) They're Buddhists. It was hilarious. They're just such fun uh, and sweet people. Yeah, I I would totally go
0: back there. That that's definitely high up on that list. Post COVID travel and all that um, is to get back there. Um, You know, it's it's funny. You went to a match. I had a chance to do this experience. Um, where it was a kickboxing lesson um, and it was with Sagat who was, you know, one of the world, the champions of Thailand, you know, a decade or two ago. And Sagat is the name of a bad guy in the street fighter video games. Yeah. And it's because the, the Japanese programmers at the time went on vacation to Thailand, saw Sagat fight was like, this guy is one bad mofo. <laughs> and then they named their bad guy after him. And so I had a chance to go and, and, and be in one of his like outdoor open air Thai kickboxing gyms. They got us all shorts, you know, so I was like, I had shorts with my name and tie on them on the side. That's and awesome. we were like, you know, rope wrapped up and had the, we went through drills and I had like a karate background. So I was just like eating it all so up, do I. you know, and some people mm. were just like their first time, but I got to say, my moment of truth was when um, I was doing some front kicks some sidekicks i think guy was holding the bag and he was expecting not as much as i gave him and i was and he was it was like he was in, impressed by this you know wimpy white american coming from america to kick a bag and i had a little little spice to that kick and he was like gave me a little nod and i was like boom that's good
1: you were, you were in martial arts i'm good what's that you were in martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. Which I was too. I had, uh, I was in Taekwondo for five and a half years and then Sudo for five and a half years. So I have a first degree black belt in each. Now I haven't practiced since I was 18. Um, God. but I remember starting way young. I was like seven years old or something. And, and I think stopped right around 18, 19, but what what it, which
0: yeah. Yeah. Same here. First, first degree. And it's with, um, wait, ru uh oh, yeah. okinawan style very much mr miyagi would be our epitome of the of the style very grounded uh not exactly the flying front kick like in the movies but everything else is pretty accurate yeah. um but yeah so i could definitely kick but it was interesting because in that class they were we, were we were kneeing we were doing all sorts of interesting things that are in elbows all sorts of really you know things that are pivotal to that have you ever pondered going there for like a month-long kickboxing boot camp
1: yeah uh maybe 10 or 15 20 years ago i'm 47 <laughs> right. years old right so i'm down to sand volleyball is like the last sport i can play without uh, because if i fall i fall on sand right i probably blow right. an acl or, or whatever right. i'm literally down to the last sport i can play without ending up in the hospital so i would probably pass but okay we don't I mean, yeah we don't ago, gotta keep that gonna, yeah.
0: <laughs> maybe so. it's you know, beach volleyball, you know, um, it was a Pattaya, just one of the beach cities. And that's good. That's good. Maybe uh,
1: surfing. Maybe I should take up serving
0: a little. Uh, well, maybe <laughs> wakeboarding. Um, yeah, well, that, that's, that's, that's incredible, man. So th- this has been good. Hey, where can people connect with you if they want to reach out, um, learn more about demand job, connect with you? Uh, what are some good sites for that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say the first step is come to demand jump. If you, if you like what you heard, um, we actually have a free trial to the, to the product that you can get a lot of value from. So, and it takes like two or three quick steps and uh, no credit card required. So you can come to the, come to demand click the start a free trial button. And then, um, you know, let, let, um, there's a number of people then that will uh, reach out to kind of help you uh, and tell them, Hey, I want to talk to Sean and I'll get on the phone with you for sure. Well, heck yeah. Heck yeah.
0: Swap some more travel stories because there's 33 other countries we're all going to have to find out about. So <laughs> yeah. maybe that's another episode, you know, you, you come up with that, that, that next product you've been thinking about and you come back on here. We'll talk more about that and some more <laughs> countries and, We'll get into Thai food and we'll be really good. So that's uh, awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, I would encourage everyone uh, definitely go sign up for a demo, uh, a free trial, actually. It's even better than a demo. Go yeah. sign up for a free trial, get that information, complete that pillar, that content pillar. You build that network out. Google will bless you <laughs> for sure they will. Um, Sean Moon, this has been great, dude.
1: Casey, thank you so much for making time for me. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, as always, uh, I right. remain a big fan of the show.
0: Hey, well, hey, we'll see you on the next one. And for those listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.